Testing one, two, three. We good? All right. We thought there'd be a lot more problems here this morning, but uh, anyway, hopefully that'll be it. But I, I know many of you feel displaced. I know some of our back row people are front and center. I, know, I can look on your face. You're nervous. I get it. I'm, I apologize. Didn't our greeters do a wonderful job getting us in here this morning? Let's give them a round of applause. Great job. We sure appreciate you guys. We know we're limited on space. Uh, we've got our student section over here getting ready to go to camp. There's one thing that I've noticed about our church over the years. Back when I was a student pastor, I, I think the most I ever took to camp was about 35. And we had two 15-passenger vans. Now, let me tell you about those vans, okay? They were what you call clip vans. Some of you know what I mean. It was literally two vans put together where the back was wrecked at some point, and so they gave us the front. The front was wrecked, and they gave us the back, okay? So we would load up like we would on a Sunday morning, just like you guys are, and we would be heading down the road, and both of those vans, if you were driving behind them, looked like they were going down the road sideways. I mean, literally. <laughs> and yet, y'all get the big buses. How does that happen? Anyway, uh, it's definitely, uh, definitely we've come a long ways as a church when it comes to that. But I understand, I think there's 92 students going to camp this year. Amen. 92. I'll hurry it up so y'all can get on down the road, okay? All right. Colossians chapter 1, if you'll go ahead and turn there, we're continuing our study, uh, the supremacy of Christ. Now, let me say this, I, I, and I think many of you know this, and maybe you've been there yourself at some point. I think many people, you know, we talk about being displaced this morning. I think many people feel displaced with life. I, I've come across so many people that basically would say this about life. I, I, I always thought there'd be more to it. I always thought there, that, 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 that when it came to life, I would know what to do. I would know how to react to things. When, the, when things came my way, it, it would all be kind of built into us. Well, how many of you realize that's just not true? Sometimes life comes and just knocks us down. Sometimes life can be very, very difficult. And for many of us, and, and this is where I believe, I believe what we learn in the book of Colossians is the fact that we were created for something. There is a purpose behind the madness. There's a difficulty with life. There's a despair with life. But between it all, God is still up to something in a fallen world. He can make something of your life. Paul, in this letter to the church here, he's basically saying, yes, there is more to life. And last week, we looked at the whole idea that the Christian life delivers. But the reason the Christian life delivers is because of what we're going to talk about today. It's because the gospel delivers. The gospel delivers. You would not have a Christian experience apart from the gospel. So look at the introduction there on your outline. The basic components of the Christian experience our faith, which speaks of our past. We came to Jesus by faith. Then there's love. That keeps us going in the present, that we're to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And, and, and then we are to love others. And then in the future, there's a hope that comes with this. And so basically, as we said last week, the thing that we need to understand about life is when there is faith, there's life. When there is love, there's life. When there is hope, there is life. 
the certainty of what God may be up to. So look at Colossians 1. We're going to review a little bit in verse 3. Look at verse 3. He says, Paul says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. So I want you to think about your life. No matter what you're going through, there's three things that will never let you down, let you down if you hold on to those things. And that is the idea of faith, the whole concept of love, and the fact that there is hope beyond this world of despair and difficulty. But how? Look on your outline. The catalyst for the Christian experience. What brings that together? What, what gives us that? The catalyst for that experience is the gospel. It is the gospel. Now, the word catalyst is really the idea of putting two things together where one thing is going to act upon the other. And that's what you have when you have a chemical reaction. That's what you have when something happens, really. And so, how does the gospel act as a catalyst for us? First of all, there is your life. You're going through life. You're there. You probably think life is pretty much about you and what you want and how you want it and how you'd like to see it play out. But then there's something that comes from God when we know the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives. And the Holy Spirit, his first intentions with every one of us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, are his first intentions are bringing the awareness of the gospel to our lives. So we have our life and the gospel coming acting as a catalyst that produces change. And that change takes on many different aspects. One thing that I've noticed about faith, and the one thing I've noticed about the gospel is, it gives people a whole different perspective on life. We begin to look at things differently, how we interpret things. And then when we begin to grow in the word, it really takes off at that point. Because we begin to see things differently than most people. But how does that happen? Well, look on your outline. How does the gospel work? Well, there's two ingredients. First of all, there's a truthful message. And the first truth we're going to look at is factual truth. Factual truth. There's just something about truth. It's factual. In Colossians chapter 1, look at the second part of verse 5. He says, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So let's break this, this part of this verse down. What is the gospel? It's literally, the word literally means good news. The word gospel was used in classical Greek to express the good news of a victory in battle. It literally means the headline, the headline. Now, if you were to look at the headlines today, it can get pretty depressing, can't it? But if you were to look at uh, what was probably published out there some way, somehow, or the word got around, the headline would be that we won the war, or there's victory in some capacity. And that's what the gospel is. It's the good news. Paul has a headline for us. Look here on the, verse, uh, on the screen. You see 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Listen to what he says. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you which also you received. The word received there is very important. It literally means that you became intimate with. You received it. The gospel came into your life. It acted upon you. And as a result, as a result, there was, there was an intimacy that was formed 
with that. And here's the reason there's an intimacy there. It's, you see, the gospel is not just words that we believe. It's the Holy Spirit as a catalyst working that gospel into us. And it's creating change. It's a catalyst. That's what we're hearing here. He says, which also you received and in which you stand. So you not only received it, and there was that idea of intimacy, you've established it in your life. It becomes what you're about. Over here, you didn't really understand your purpose for life. Over here, you didn't understand the different things that were going on because there was nothing to attach it to. There was no concept. Now you have it, and it's called the gospel, the good news. But he goes further. Listen to what he says. He says, by which... This is speaking of the gospel. Also, you are saved. The word saved there literally means you were rescued. You, you're right. When you were over here without the gospel, when you were over here without the good news, you, you didn't have a life. You didn't have any life. It was one of those lives you were just trying to get from point A to point B the best you can. But over here, he's offering you something that is a catalyst that burns. It rescued you. Now you're establishing your life in it. There's an intimacy associated with it. And then he says, if you hold fast that word. When he says, if you hold fast that word, he's talking about the only way that can become a reality in your life is you got to hold on to it. How many of you know knows what it means to hold on for dear life? You ever ridden with someone in a car that scares the daylights out of you? I do that to my family. I do it on purpose. I'm testing faith. I'm working with that. <laughs> but, but there's just something about the fact that sometimes we have to hold on. When it comes to life, we hold on for dear life. Aren't you glad that when we hold on for dear life, we who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we get to hold on to the Word of God? And you see, that's what he's talking about here. We've established it in our, our lives. It gives us perspective. It helps us. Then he goes on, which I preach to you. Now, the word preach there, I mean, up here he said, I declared it to you. But now he's saying, I preached it to you. It means he proclaimed it to you. It literally means he's pleaded with you about it. He wants so much for it to be a reality in your life. And then he says, unless you believed in vain. He's basically saying there's a part of us in which we can hear the gospel. There's a part of us where we can hear the concept of the gospel, but we don't become intimate with it. We don't, we don't allow us ourselves to be established in it. And he basically, he's talking about the vanity of it all when these things don't take place. And then he says this, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Paul's basically saying, hey, you're hearing this from someone who's experienced what I want you to experience. And it was a catalyst. It changed my life forever. And then here's what he says. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. What did he receive? What was the whole central truth to what he was saying? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He did that. And that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day. How? according to the scriptures that he was seen by Cephas that was the apostle Peter and then by the 12 so Paul was basically saying here's the change agent how do you go from a life that doesn't deliver to a life that does deliver it comes by way of the gospel that brings faith that brings love that brings purpose that brings hope you see, the gospel, when you think about it, is the good news of Christ's victory over the enemy, our sin, and even death. 
How many of you are glad this morning that when we face death, and we all will, apart from Jesus coming back, how many of you are, are glad that there's good news associated even with our death? And again, that's what we have here. That's what he's trying to pull. He's trying to show us. In the first century, the gospel, this good news, however, was already being threatened. Now think about it. 2,000 years later, is the gospel message threatened by people? Yeah, they, mis they misconstrue it. They, they put easy believism in it. They do all these different things. They only show you one side of it. But guess what? Coming out of the gate, the gospel began to be attacked. And Paul, in every one of his epistles, was saying, beware of those who are taking something away from the complete gospel message. Beware of those. And he's going to do it here. You see, there was a false gospel that was working its way into the church. Listen to, or listen to how Paul phrases verse 5. He says, which you heard. It literally means stick with that that you know to be true. It means stick with what you've been taught. How many of you have ever had parents send you off and they basically say, I remember how you were raised? You remember that? You, you ever had that said to you? You go on to camp, remember how you were raised. Okay? All right? And, and that's true. I mean, it's that aspect of what's already been worked into us. And that's the wording that we have here. Listen to what it says in the word of the truth of the gospel. And here's what Paul says in Galatians 1 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then the, what we preach to you, let him be accursed. You know what that literally means? Let them be set aside for destruction. Now, why would Paul use such strong language? Here's why. Because eternity, a person's eternity is dependent upon the gospel working in that person. And if someone's taking away from it, then it's not the true gospel. And so he's basically saying, let them be set apart for destruction because they're leading many people astray. And we hear that not only in the first century and what Paul's talking about, we hear it today. We hear it today. And many times it's on the airwaves. Many times it's in the pulpits across America. Many times it's just in simple shows where you hear something along the lines of, oh, I don't believe God would do that. Well, he might if it's in the Word. And that's what we see. So we see the factual truth. Colossians 1, he says, of which, second part of verse 5, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So what is the gospel? We've already talked about that. But secondly, what is truth? And there's two types of truth that's working its way in our culture today. There's absolute truth and there's relative truth. The factual message of the gospel is contained in the Bible. It's right here for us. The Bible is the word. Listen to this. The Bible is the word of the truth of the gospel. That means we have a factual message. We have a message of truth. Now, let me tell you something about what truth really is, okay? This is not on your outline, but this, this, this is something to consider. Truth is absolute. If truth is not absolute, then it's not truth, Logically, it can't be. If you designate this to be truth and something comes along that you say is truth over here and they conflict one another, one of them's not true. Logic tells you that, okay? And so basically what we see here is that truth, number one, is absolute. Number two, truth is actually correct reality. 
again, what, what do we see playing out in our world today? We see different forms of reality or what's claimed to be reality. How many of you, again, look at that in our world and just kind of scratch your head and say, do what? That is reality now? That is, what is this? <laughs> and we see that. Number three, truth corresponds to what actually has happened, will happen, or is happening. It has to do with what's happening out there. What happened, what is happening, and what will happen. What will happen. Those are things that remain concrete. Those are things that must be established. If it worked in the past, it's going to work in the present and will work in the future. And that's what truth is and how it has to be. Logically, that's what it means. However, our society is seeing a shift in the whole concept of truth. Modern philosophies are teaching that there is no such thing as one absolute authoritative truth. What do we hear? Now you can have... Now you can have your own truth. Or you'll hear someone say this, I have my truth, you have your truth. Logically, again, is that possible? Not if one contradicts the other, one can't be truth. And that's what we have to understand. So we're faced with a challenge here. Now, let's, let's, let's determine why that's important. Suppose you're... With uh, in, in pilot training, when they're teaching these guys how to fly airplanes, at some point, a pilot must learn how to trust the instruments on the control panel no matter what, okay? No matter what, they got to trust that. They're no longer looking outside the plane. They're looking at what's right there in front of them, okay? They're not, they, should, they shouldn't be trusting their feelings, how they feel about it. What should they be trusting in? The control panel. That's their truth. That's their reality of where the plane is and what the condition of the plane is. Suppose this person is flying and they get into a situation, maybe a snowstorm or some storm where they can't see outside the plane. They have a distinct feeling, possibly, that they're upside down. And pilots tell me that. There's a pilot sitting here today told me that. That, that you can be so... so uh, uh, bumped around so much that what you feel may not be what's true. And so all of a sudden, you're on the plane with this person. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you want them to go with what's on the panel or what they feel? I want to know what's on that panel. And I want you flying according to the panel. I don't care how you feel. <laughs> I want to survive this. <laughs> The panel represents the whole idea of something being absolute. There's indicators that have come in to, to show us, and there's a reality that rests in that control panel. But then there's also sometimes there's pilots, and we know there, uh, there was a family that, uh, many years ago in our community that died as a result of this. And, and the reason was there's that trust in what they're feeling, and just as in a plane, it can lead to destruction, so it can with life. It can lead to destruction. You see, our feelings, how we relate to something can change from moment to moment, can't it? It can. My wife and I were having a friendly, stern discussion at times. 
I come in there thinking I'm right. I leave sometimes thinking I wasn't right. It felt right. It seemed right. Evidently, it wasn't right. You ever been there? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, let's find reality in this. In a life, in a life or death decision, again, do you want something that is absolute? I do. I want something that's dependable to guide me in my life. I want something that works. I want something that delivers. And I want to I hear testimony of how it does for other people. And I want to be around those people because they have the same perspective I have that which comes from the Word of God. And I want to grow with those people because that's what you find. That's what God desires through the church. So here's what we need to understand. The Bible is not only true, it's truth. There's a big difference. This is my truth. God's truth. You say, man, you are pretty bold to say that in this day and age. I'm sorry. Now, here's, here's, here's another thing. Just as this is what I declare to be absolute truth, this is the truth that delivers that I found in my life. And, and I've been intimate with, the, with this truth. Uh, it's established in me. Doesn't mean I'm a perfect person, but I know when I get away from it, and I know when I'm living it. How many of you can relate to that? Okay, so this is that truth. And then all of a sudden, someone holds up another truth that in some way may be contrary to this truth, and they say, no, this is absolute truth. This is the truth. Which one is truth? We live in a world today that says, well, both of them are. Yeah, well, your truth, your, 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 we'll just embrace it all. It's not logical. Someone's wrong. And that's where your faith comes in. That's where you got to understand. And that's what we see. Jesus, listen to this. Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. He's praying to his heavenly fathers, and this is what he wants for his disciples. Father, I want them to be set apart. I want them to be set apart by your truth because your word is truth. He's literally saying, I want them set apart. And I want them set apart in such a way that they're living in the reality of the truth that you've determined. That's what he's praying for his disciples. Who are his disciples? That's us who know him as our Lord and Savior. You see, once truth is established, it becomes the standard by which everything else is measured to be true or false. That's why absolute truth is necessary. Secondly, boy, I got to run. Personal truth, verse 6, which has come to you. It's not just a truth that's out there that's just kind of hanging out. It's a truth that has come to you. The gospel answers and meets two of your greatest needs in your life. Think about it. Jesus died and was buried to handle your sin problem. Now, let's be honest. How many of you have a sin problem? Raise your hand. Okay, if the person beside you is not raising their hand, just take their hand and hold it high. Okay, no. We have a sin problem. He took care of it, okay? And then he was resurrected and lives today to handle our death problem. I don't know about you, but it sounds like a pretty good deal. I want this deal because it delivers. The gospel is the only message of truth that deals with our greatest two problems. Thirdly, there is a universal truth. In the second part of verse 6, as it 
has also in, uh, as it has also in all the world. It's been given to all the world. Skip down to verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to who or whom? Every creature under heaven of which Paul of which I, Paul, became a minister. He's saying, I have a passion to see this take place. But here's what we understand about the gospel. When it says every creature, it's not limited to an ethnic group, a geographic group, a certain culture, or a certain political party. It's available to who or whom? All. All. Now, you may wonder why I say who, who and whom. I don't know which one to use, so I figure if I use both, you English majors can't get me. Okay, uh, lastly, we have factual truth, personal truth, universal truth, lastly, practical truth. For truth to be established in us, listen, it must become personal, then it becomes practical. Now, think about that. It becomes personal, and if it becomes personal, the idea of intimate, you're established in it, it builds perspective in you, gives you a reality, Guess what? It has to become practical if that's true. That means lived out. Lived out. So, so here's what we have. First of all, the gospel, look on your outline, the gospel truth produces fruit. The, the third part of verse 6 is, and is bringing forth. The word forth there literally means to add but not only add, it not only adds, it grows what is added. Okay? So the gospel, listen to this. You've received the gospel. You're established in the word of truth. Now, something's been added in you that is, in, there's anticipation for it to grow. Grow. That's the practical application of the gospel. And so it's bringing forth fruit. What is fruit? It's, pra it's a practical reaction to the gospel being established in us. As it also is among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God. How? In truth. Now let me say this. The gospel's effect in your life, the reason we know it delivers, is because it's not stagnant. It's not stagnant. It is a living, moving, growing reality within you. It bears fruit, and it spreads, and it grows. And if that is not a reality in your life, you need to see if you've ever had that. Because that is what it says it is. It's something that adds and grows. And we see that. Next, practical truth. The gospel truth produces fruit. Secondly, the gospel truth brings understanding. It has the capability of bringing understanding. L listen to this. The power of the gospel does not come from clever or persuasive words from men or women, but from the Holy Spirit. You say, prove it to me. 1 Thessalonians 1.5. Our gospel did not come to you in word only. It wasn't just words. There was something that came with it. But in power... And in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul's talking about his whole uh, preaching ministry. He says that my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. First of all, let me tell you something about the gospel. There's something that I've deemed to be true because I've studied every world religion out there. How many of you know a little bit about every world religion? Yeah, we, if, you, if you went to school, you learned a little bit about all of them. 
But, but, but here's what we need to understand. It makes sense, and, and you're going you're gonna to shy away when I say this, but when you look at every other major re religion, there, there's two concepts going on. You're working for that salvation, right? That's one way. You're working to get there, or you're trying to be enlightened to get there, right? That's what we have on the world scene, okay? But what is he saying? He's saying, no, no. My, it didn't come with, with, with human wisdom. I don't know about you, but my human wisdom would, would tend to lead me that if I'm going to heaven and it's a good place, I've got to pay my way there. I mean, doesn't that sound like human reasoning? does to me. That's what most religions would say. Or I've got to discover something no one else has discovered. <laughs> but, but here's what we have. It's not human wisdom. It's the demonstration of the spirit and of, the, of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but where? In the power of God. That's him revealing to us this gospel. Next, the practical truth is also the gospel truth extends grace. Extends grace. A five-year-old stood to quote what was supposed to be Romans 3.23. Bless her little heart. How many of you ever been on stage and just froze up? You knew something. Was, I remember one time I was up here trying to tell a story many years ago, and I was talking about my daughter and couldn't remember her name. <laughs> That's terrible, isn't it? But when you get up here, it's a whole different world. First of all, these stupid lights. I don't know why we need all these lights up here. But no, I shouldn't say that. The lights. Okay, but anyway. This little five-year-old gets out there. She's so ready. She's probably practiced over and over again to some, uh, excuse me, Romans 3.23. And we know the verse, for all have sinned, come show the glory of God. So she gets up there and she's, she's, she starts seeing all the people. She starts getting nervous. And she just stood there and she said, I have sinned. <laughs> Did she get it right? She nailed it. She nailed it. And that's what we see. We have sinned. The gospel's truth extends grace. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I don't have to work for my salvation. I fail miserably at that. But it is by grace that we're saved, not of works. So the gospel is a truthful message that is established through Jesus Christ and is intended to be experienced by all. Next, there's a faithful messenger, the link. So when the gospel delivers, there's not only a truthful message, there's a faithful messenger. And there's a link. Look what he says in verse 7 of Colossians 1. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a fellow minister of Christ on your behalf, which also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Epaphras, we believe, was the one who possibly founded and pastored this church. And Paul's really building them up. And how's he building them up? He's building them, him up in the sight of the gospel, him displaying the gospel. That's what we see here. So we see this. Now, God has chosen us, the church, and individuals who make up the church, to get his message to the lost uh, from, from those who were lost. So, so here's what we need to understand. We not only have received the gospel, become intimate with the gospel, have an understanding, working knowledge of the gospel, we're now called to share the gospel, to tell people about the gospel. I love the fact that there's hardly not a month in our church where we don't have someone uh, who comes up, like we did this morning, and a couple or individual come up and say, hey, here's how we're working to share the gospel with the world in the re uh, region that God's called us to share. 
I love the fact that we're a church that has that. We're always trying to put that out there in front of you. But it doesn't just rest with them. That call has been placed on every one of us to share the reality of the gospel. Next, we not only see the link, we see the passion. Let me ask you something. What's the greatest thing that ever happened to you? Greatest thing that ever happened to you? I want you to think about that. Greatest thing that ever happened to you? Now, some of you sitting beside your wife, you're like, the day I got married to this fine woman, that better be up there, but it probably shouldn't be number one. It was the day you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because your eternity is bound by that decision. That's the greatest day of your life. Why is it we can talk about everything, but we can't talk about the greatest day of our life? It's tough, isn't it? And we live, you're right, we live in a world that doesn't really want to hear it. But let me just tell you this. As long as the Spirit of God is operating in our world and in our culture, which He is, by the way, then we have doors to step through to share the gospel with others. And that's what He's called us to do. And he talks about the passion of Epaphras in verse 12. He says, he's labored fervent for you in prayers. He, he, in verse 13, for I bear him witness that he has great zeal. He has passion for you. Do you have passion for the things of God? And then next, the responsibility as it relates to the gospel. Number one, we should proclaim it. We've been called to proclaim it. Mark 16, 15. And Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We are called to advance it. It's not just to proclaim it. The word advance, when you think of it in this concept, literally means we need to have a strategy to advance the gospel. We do here in this church. We have a strategy to advance it. And then thirdly, to defend it. If ever the gospel needed to be defended, it's a day like we live today. There's so many opinions. And you say, well, wait, I know there's a lot of opinions, but there were a lot of opinions in the first century. But the, the opinions we have now are easily circulated greater than they've ever been. Would you agree with that? And all the messages that we hear out there. Next, suffer for it. We should be willing to suffer for it. According to the scripture, we are called not to hinder it. Do not hinder it. How do you hinder it? When you live contrary to the reality of who you are in Christ, you're hindering the gospel. Either from the fact that the Holy Spirit maybe can't use you to share or you're a bad testimony and God can't use it. Third, next, to not be ashamed of it. The Bible says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And then next, realize it carries divine empowerment. There's power when we go forth in the name of the Lord. Did you know that? I mean, let me tell you this. If you share enough, I'm, I'm going, I'm, I can testify this. If you share the gospel enough, you will be amazed at how God arranges things. You'll go share the gospel and all of a sudden, you'll, find, you'll walk up on someone who's been contemplating that for the last 24 hours. I wonder where these thoughts were coming from. I mean, sometimes you'll even hear, they'll even say it. I, I've, been, I've been contemplating on what you're sharing with me right now. I can't believe how this is fitting in my life. For some of you, you come on Sunday mornings and the gospel is being presented or part of the Bible, the truth is being presented and it's like that very week you dealt with that exact same thing in your life. I'm not smart enough to pull that off. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's the application. Have you accepted 
this truthful message. Is the gospel reality in your life? Have you been intimate? Is it an intimate part of you? Is it established in you in such a way that it can't help but show up in places? The fruit, what God desires. And then next, are you a faithful messenger? Now that you have it, don't you want others to have it? Does he give you a platform for that? I see you sitting there listening. You're not listening to me. You're listening to those buses that are about there right now. That's what that noise is. <laughs> but here's what I want to do. I want to lead us in prayer. And I, I really want you to contemplate what we're talking about here. Father, we just come to you right now. And, and Lord, I just thank you so much for the reality of your gospel. I thank you that it does deliver. I thank you that I, we don't have to be those who wonder, is there more to this life? Father, you created us according to your word. You created us. You created us with purpose. You created, with, uh, created in us uh, the ability to, to belong. Father, these are our greater needs. Father, you've given us the, with the gospel the ability to overcome sin. We don't have to be in bondage to our sin any longer. And Father, you have given us victory over death. And we praise you for that. We thank you for it. Lord, help us to be faithful people who not only have received the gospel, but also have a desire to share the gospel. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us?